Are you tired of stick people drawing stinking up your exercise programs? Do you wish you had an exercise prescription software that had hundreds of pictures, videos, fully customizable text, inbuilt virtual consultation software, and you could send it by email or WhatsApp? If that software existed, I bet you would want a three-month free trial, wouldn't you? Just go to rehabmypatient.com forward slash physiomatters now. Hi everyone, Jack here. Welcome back to Chewing It Over. I rarely do an introduction like this at the start of these podcasts. I usually usually jump right into it, but it seems smart for me to do so. I just want to set the scene a little bit and give the context on this. The MSK service in Sussex, Sussex MSK, uh, they're a, a partnership. They they run as a, a non-profit, but they have their independence. I think that's relevant, actually. We'll come to that in the interview. But um, essentially, they are the service that had its name in lights and rightly so in the in the in the mainstream media where streeting weighed in and offered its support uh, amanda pritchard from nhs england was praising it as being a great innovation and they run these clinical sorry community assessment days uh the story goes they hired out a leisure center and invited their waiting list and, and the rest is history uh, of course it takes a bit more uh, planning than that and um also the waiting list management element of it is not the center of the bullseye it was never the intention it's a, a useful byproduct of course of good care um but it's just for me i really wanted to center this conversation as a start of the conversation rather than it being that this is an all-encompassing you know we, we had a certain um, time limits of course and I really wanted to understand what was underneath it, but also, you know, making um, an opportunity for us to inspire further work in this direction, because there are so few innovations in an operational space. It drives me crazy. So um, I think one of the things that I'm really keen to understand is whether or not we can really see and seize this opportunity to do interesting and novel things in the community to try and get people moving and to really understand what matters to them. I mean, it's hilarious. And we sort of talk about in this interview about how that conversation should be central to everything that we do in terms of functional MSK practice. Uh, yet it often isn't. And it's, uh, it sometimes takes for uh, things like this to really shift and flip the script on our style of practice, our style of interactions, and also what it means uh, to be a physiotherapist in this modern landscape and contemporary context so thank you so much uh, for tuning in hope you enjoyed this interview and i will leave you with georgie and charlotte which was a fantastic conversation charlotte hayes and georgie delwiso king welcome to chewing it over what on earth is a cad mm, yeah hi um so cad a cad um is an abbreviated term for what we call the community appointment day and it's it's been like years of developing lots of little tiny constellations have formed a CAD and it really kind of aims to hold this sense of personalization and humanization of healthcare. So instead of the, the whole biomedical approach that has three generations developed to what we're working in, it's really trying to create an environment where we're really seeing the person and the human in that person within an environment that is really embracing what that person really needs. Um, so instead of kind of, you know, an elbow never just walked into the room, right? You know, it was a person that walked into the room. Mm -hmm. So trying to create an environment that that person can fully show themselves and access what they fully need as an individual. And, you know, it's completely been purpose led. So there's been, like I say, lots of different little tiny constellations that have happened through the journey to enable us to get to this bigger, this bigger picture of what community appointment day looks like. Super. And we're going to flesh that out for sure. Mm. Um, it's been really interesting. I've been so looking forward to this chat because for those that, um, I mean, we're going to get a chance to flesh it out properly, but it's, it's really shot to fame um, last year from... Uh, getting media attention, including at the, the the highest level, but no doubt that is the culmination of so many different pieces. Um, Charlotte, you're joining us uh, from the from the clinical grassroots. Those that uh, of Physio Matters uh, audience may well know you as part of our Physio Matters team. So you've got an interesting foot in both camps. But we're going to come to you um, really when we get into the what does it mean at the at the shop floor and when you really uh the oohs and ahs of, of those challenges so we're going to come to you in a second but georgia can you start off telling us a little bit about almost the, take us back to some of the um roots of this then or 
even the service of which you guys work um, is no doubt relevant to some of those really early decisions or, or the way that this emerged as a natural solution to some of the problems that you guys felt that we were facing. Yeah, um, I guess so. we work in quite an agile system. So we've got a collaborative that is part of a social uh, non-for-profit social enterprise linked with an NHS trust. So it gives us agility to kind of respond to trends or what we're picking up throughout our generation of data throughout the years. Um, and our leadership team completely holds that sense of, you know, the generational changes that we've gone through, you know, where people have been a subject and then people are consumers and like really leaning into this essence that people want to be citizens of their own health. So that sense that people want to have more authority and more control and choice over their own health care. So over the years, we've been able to develop ideas around how can we put that at the forefront of what we do? Um, as an MSK service. So just having my job role, for instance, like a personalised care lead in MSK, you know, 10 years ago was really quite unusual. And now people are really starting to see that that feels really kind of pivotal to kind of creating the training programme that you need to enable physios, osteopaths, non-clinical health workers to be able to like embrace that type of conversation so it's really looking at changing the consultation historically that we've always kind of looked at to kind of holding this open this bigger open conversation and that's come from personalized care training and more recently a lot around health coaching and asset-based strength-based conversations when we first started out we looked at um we looked at doing what matters to you conversations for people within the first week or two of them being referred within our service, just as a like a little trial of like, if we ask people what they want and what matters most to them right at the beginning, where does it take people? And we found that those conversations, 30% of people were supported to self-manage from those conversations because they wanted advice and guidance around what was going on or they needed a sounding board to kind of go, you know, like people are waiting six months to find out whether they can keep going at the gym because their knee pain hurts. You know, it's just crazy, isn't it? Uh, so we were finding that lots of people needed different things, but yet everybody was waiting on the same waiting list to receive the same sort of thing. So, yeah, with the what matters to you conversations and leaning into what matters most to people, we were finding that we could really support the waiting list by enabling people to receive what they needed at the right time that they wanted it and needed it. So that was like the what matters to you element that we were like, oh, there's something in this talking to people rather than looking at the paper. And inevitably, right, with paper referrals, it's like Chinese whispers, isn't it? You interpret it incorrectly or yeah. however you want. So and then, just out of interest, mm. then was it that you? It's I feel it's a bit embarrassing in some ways, isn't it? That that isn't central to all care. The, now that we realise this, um, yeah, it's that that what matters to them, and that therefore that naturally is grounded in an aspiration to function better, often for people, or for them to feel like they need a sense of safety or, or permission sometimes to get on with things that they they've intuited themselves that are, are sensible. Can you, I've, I've rushed past getting a bit of a chance to get your background. Can you tell me a little bit about that as to what's led you to this role, if you can, quickly, just before we then move on to what then came through on the scheme? Yeah, um, so I'm a physiotherapist by background um, in MSK, and then I went on to do um, my master's and and really focused on the biopsychosocial model and the conceptualization of that and the conceptualization of the therapeutic alliance so kind of my work really expanded through delving into research based around those concepts um and then you know like most physios went into an advanced practitioner role and fcp first contact practitioner role and started to see these needs of where we're just missing the essence of the humanity within healthcare um and and just I guess, thankfully, my service had the personalised care lead role that I kind of, yeah, worked into. And since yeah. then, have, have, have been supported to develop The rest, the rest is history. And then your name was in lights as part of one of Yay. the most famous innovations <laughs> in MSK in ages. Um, Charlotte, I, as much as it would be a fun crescendo and finale to finish with you on this podcast, which we will do, uh, we'll bring you in just for quick intros if we can now. So t tell us a little bit about um, what, you, what you do and, and your background. 
So yeah, I'm uh, MSK uh, physiotherapist in uh, SCFT. Um, just got my senior post end of last year. Um, been in the department about um, two and a half years now, um, and quite new, new to physiotherapy. So yeah, in, into four years, I did my rotations before, um, and yeah, it's been a part of MSK. I think just learning about, like Georgie was saying, our organisation and everything they have to offer that they do for personalised care. I kind of you know was really interested in that when I. Yeah, joined and um, when they started doing things like this, it's ama- yeah, amazing to be a part of. So, yeah. Super. Now, Charlotte, if I'm going to embarrass you now, but Charlotte's someone that uh, is going to call herself quite new for 10, 15 years. <laughs> she's one of the sort of brightest up and coming in MSK. Um, and uh, and so she'll always be wonderfully humble about that. But yeah, I'm so, so pleased to be talking to, to both of you on this. So, Georgie, I, I abruptly stopped us to do the, the bios and stuff. I think it's useful for people to understand that background the what matters to you conversations it, it really then made you guys realize that there's something that an emergent obvious next step from that would to be really center that within the service and realizing that that access at that point would maybe i guess free up and 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 and, and change the sort of order of play of things and so so to pick us up where, where we left off yeah yeah so um yeah so I guess I guess the what matters to you conversation as well you know you were like isn't it embarrassing to feel like it could be that simple that we <laughs> come back to asking that individual what matters most to them and I do I I I felt the same Jack in the sense of like why why have we missed this for years and then because of that I've delved into generational differences so you know like right. hugely we've changed right from right from when the NHS was first developed, you know, like get the men back into work, get the men back to war, you know, all of that stuff. We don't need to do that anymore, obviously, to a point. Um, <laughs> well, it's and it's not, not just, that way. That, and, that, you've just worried me now. you just worried me if that, that's yeah. what the NHS will be. A few years time at this rate, we're going to be back to that. But no, let's, <laughs> let's, let's not fear it. Let's not worry too much in that direction. I digress. This. But no, you're right. So, so the gener- tell us about those generational differences. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, see, I guess, you know, you know, you think about the silent generation. Yeah. Which was the nine, you know, born around 1942. You know, the doctor knows best. Yes, doctor. No doctor. Yeah. You're, we're doing this operation on you. That's what you're doing. Take that medication. That's what it was. Right. Yeah, sure. And then we kind of went into those baby boomers, 1943, 1964. Yeah. And those people really did want to be engaged or do want to be engaged um and and they're they're the people that kind of often come in with like newspaper articles because information started to be sent out more right you know people start to read more talk more the community aspects of post-war generation supporting each other and they were being sold to as well you know you've got then a natural intersection there with consumer capitalism that meant that they were being both sold ideas and sold products that were starting to have a health and fitness perchance to them didn't they so that coincides yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So you had the sort of like the the that that silent generation, which are essentially subjects. Yeah. And then we're going into, like you say, the baby boomers that started this sort of consumerist society. Yeah. And those sort of the baby boomers are quite complex because, you know, at the moment they're looking after older parents. They're you know, they, they, they they've got kids. They're getting older themselves. So their lives are really quite it's 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 big it's it's multi-dimensional in so many ways and then you've got you know the generation x's which are the 1961s 1981s and those those people are really curious and they really want to be engaged like you say because of the consumerist the accessibility to information has grown over the years people are more educated the diversity of access to academic skill sets schools change you know all of that stuff is influenced how people want and receive information and how maybe they want to manage things themselves but the NHS hasn't shifted to align with that yeah um and then you've got the millennials <laughs> which are like quick 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 fast 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 Amazon Prime want it now if I can't get it now if you're not telling me what I want you know if you're not engaging me like I want I'll go somewhere else yeah so it's got to be right for 
that generation or they'll go somewhere else and hence the hopping Mm. so I, I think I felt like we you know when I was in practice really leaning into and once you've got this idea of these generational differences not in terms of like a cognitive bias or anything like that but it does start to influence maybe how you change your language or how you offer offer a sense of yourself to that person that comes in and they sit in front of you you know and always are like how do you best receive information you know what feels right for you you know or you'll get a tone won't you of like you know that classic of well I don't know what to do you're the professional you tell me what to do typically either a baby boom or a silent generation and then there's an opportunity there to educate so I think the what matters to you really lent into that and as 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 we could feel like it feels embarrassing it also feels like of course why would it look any different and we know with research there's like a 17 year you know, roll out, isn't it? You publish a paper and like 17 years later, it's like coming into fruition or into kind of a little bit more practice. This makes is me, like... Makes me, I, I, I keep hoping that the 10-year <laughs> existence of Physio Matters means that if it's still 17 years, I need to just fall on my sword and admit no, the So I hope going. it's not quite 17, but I know that data. Charlotte, just on the What, what Matters to You uh, stuff, let's try and... And I think before I forget to not ask, I think a lot of people are fearful. Those that don't ask those sorts of centered questions within any subjective history taking, never mind at the forefront of a service in the ways that of which you do and, and really center that and bring that forward. But those, a lot of people are fearful that if I ask my patients what matters to them, they would just say, well, I, just, I just want it to be pain free. What matters to me is this pain going away and for you to tell me what it, what tissue it is that's broken or what matters to me is that I get a scan yesterday. So a lot of people are fearful that the, the lower hanging fruit for someone would be that they would always end up in a really complex, almost conflict resolution situation over an expectation clash. Is that what happens or in the what is there percentages of which it does but this this mitigating factors i just want to almost throw that to you as to where those conversations go when when people are given that chance i think it's it's really difficult listen to you guys and just and that reflection of what you said the challenges are i think in as msk clinicians we we do that every day in clinic and i think you know we ask those questions we ask about mental health past medical history you know we open up a lot of you know questions to people i think you know time constraints within our NHS clinics make those conversations hard I think quite daunting as clinicians as well but I think being involved in the CAD I think when we first got told about this I think that was our you know initially on our brains of you know there's going to be lots of people how are we going to manage this no time constraints we're not used to this you know laptops writing notes you know just to have a lovely conversation with someone and ask them what matters to them we weren't we were quite nervous about that concept but I think actually when you do it because you've got such a wide um, team around you and there was a lot of people in the clinics and other people from different pathways came to help if they could as well and I think that's why you didn't worry about the times when you ask what matters to you I think what people say back you you guide around what they're telling you you're they're telling you your story and you facilitate around that you kind of know where to go with that and, and you ask them and say why why is that diagnosis important to you or what why do you feel a scan would would be helpful and what would be useful for you to get from today like like we would ask but I know it, it did feel really different and and when you think when you said earlier about these conversations lasting hours I think it, it come to a nice natural end of what they wanted and where they wanted to go that day um I, I love that and I think that's it's so it's so interesting because I love it when something in theory just doesn't play out in in the practical reality or it does but only in a smaller percentage of which is of course much more manageable and that people's the water isn't that cold when you jump into it and stuff and so that's 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 brilliant so thanks for that and we'll definitely come back to more of those practical realities so when trying to operationalize this so there's there's almost a, a culture of asking that question not only asking that question but asking it sooner and sooner and sooner into a service not just a consultation and that becoming a culture i would argue of of, of, of functional restoration that is meaningful to that individual per, truly personalized care there are many clinicians and many services I would argue myself included, including the ones of which I've worked in in the, in the NHS, in the third sector, interestingly, in the social enterprises where I cut my teeth. And I think that's incredibly relevant to the, the proliferation of entrepreneurship. I think that's one of the things that's exciting about some of the emergence of, of this as a project. 
but also in private practice that asking those things sometimes then it, it stops short of actually becoming part of the fabric of the operational aspect of that service. I think it almost then becomes that, well, let's make sure we center that in consultation. And what you guys have done is go further than that and have created something that then has, I would argue, changed the fabric of, of the service in a sense, because it has this opportunity to become so front end that that is actually a, I won't say separate scheme because it's very much nested within your service, but tell me about how that became something that went beyond beyond the clinical consultation and into an actual, you know, operationalized it in a very novel way. Okay, yeah. So Jack, just let me know if you feel like I'm not answering this right. So what I'm getting from you is like, how how did it become, how did that conversation become something bigger in a way that we're still keeping within what we're doing, but expanding it beyond what we've already done? Yeah, because it's to jump between it's jump between that being a central theme within a service but yep. to ask that question and to act on those questions. I have the signposting and stuff. But yeah. when it becomes a, a, a day of which is a, a leisure center, et cetera. Yeah. So just take us take us to how that gets operational. Yeah, yeah. So what what we were also noticing, Jack, was this sense of like you can have this conversation in a hospital setting. And it's a bit like going to a supermarket and having no intention to buy a packet of Maltesers. But what do you come out with? Because you see it, you get Maltesers, you get some yum-yums, you get like some grapes, you know, you get stuff that you didn't, didn't necessarily really want or, or need. You went in for some salad or whatever. So we recognise that the conversations were one element and that in a hospital setting where you've got MRI, X-ray, radiology, neurology, that needed to shift up a little bit too. So kind of hence leaning into how can we take this into the community instead of sucking the community into us in regards to signposting, which, you know, research shows that actually that doesn't really work. <laughs> Just telling people what to do, going, that doesn't work. We need to go out there. We need to go out and we need to help people engage with the community and, and build confidence with how to engage with the community. So the first thing was like, where do we go? Where do we go that would hold this conversation with this ethic and this moral and this humanization. And we tried a few places. So we've tried leisure centers, community centers. Before this big day event, we had a tiny little, what we called a big conversation in a community hall in Hangleton in Brighton. Um, and it was tiny. And we just sort of sent out invitations just in terms of like posters and people just walked in off the street but we had some educational you know fcps talking about accessing physio or healthcare in a, in their primary care um and then laura finnecane and i were in a little side room just going i see i wonder whether people would come in wanting their knee looked at or wanting some information about their back had no no documentation at all it was just let's just see because we, we were just curious and it was amazing like the sense that Laura and I got of just working in an open space I could hit you know I could absolutely see what she was doing and it was lovely to kind of go Laura we've got five people waiting you know you all right to take the next one she's like yeah I'll take the next one you because at one point I had like four women that with a translator all of different ages, different pathologies, different elbow, knee, but, but we were having this conversation about how to manage each other's pain, what it looked like, what they did in their local community. And because it was, there was a different feeling of the conversation because people weren't, they didn't get a referral in. They hadn't waited at all. They hadn't even chosen that they wanted to have an assessment or a physiotherapy conversation or anything like that. They'd just sort of gone, oh, oh God, that's great I'd love to talk to you about my foot pain and it grew from there so we got that real lovely taste of if we take people out of hospital settings and we come with this mindset of I truly just want to meet you and what's going on for you and I'll absolutely lace my expertise in your expertise and we can create this understanding together as to what you feel you need and want and absolutely Jack there are some people that were like well I've been on the waiting list for the pain service for absolutely ages and then I didn't hear anything so then I had to go back to the GP and get re-referred and I still haven't heard anything and all I want is a scan we absolutely had conversations like that awesome. and that's that was what Charlotte was leaning into there was no time limit so I think sometimes that conflict re resolution comes from 
oh, that internal feeling of like, I've got to sort this out in half an hour because I've got a list of 18 other people today or 20 even that if I start getting my timings wrong right at the beginning of the day, I'll miss my lunch, I'll get home late, you know, impact so much if you remove the time limit and you create this feeling of, I don't have all the answers. I'm really curious about what you, why do you want to scan? Let's talk about that. Like, I'm not yeah. taking that off the table. Let's, let's talk no, about I, that. Because it's, I think that's one of the things that always, we've got to always remember is that that, we are blessed with the knowledge that we have now over the lack of say tissue correlations to symptomology, all that sort of stuff that we sometimes yeah. take for granted because it's central to contemporary MSK practice, but it's a completely legitimate ask and want for people to know what it is. And that that is such an understandable, simplistic thing that it wouldn't take us. I mean, many of us within our training, we felt the same way many deep into our experience, we felt the same way. So the fact that sometimes we can arrogantly think that, society should have moved when we moved over the complexities of understanding pain as a, even as yeah. let's say as a neurological or a fully biopsychosocial phenomenon is something that is of course we know that society hasn't moved that way so how dare we think that it's unreasonable for people to want and even demand and become confrontational about a, a, a scam for example so we've got to move that on i've got to be i really want to and we i need to remember to make sure we get the, the headlines some of the headline statistics almost or, or what how impactful the scheme has been that the media has then covered uh thoroughly and we'll we will link to some of that in in full but what you've described there georgie is is a model especially when you were testing the water you and laura i know i mean it's, it's music to my ears both by disposition and by style and I'm, i hope i don't sound like i'm just bandwagoning or piggybacking there but it's def definitely something that um is, is familiar to me in lots of different ways but also I know from having dabbled in certain things myself, both as an educator and as a, as a, as a clinician, that that is exactly what terrifies a many a clinician as well. So <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I, we've only just met, but by disposition from what I can tell, from what I know of you, from the way in which just as a natural, holistic, liberal attitude to embracing the variety and, and the chaos, as, as my friend Joost van Rijen, who's a really innovative uh, educator on some of this stuff, it said, bring me the chaos. He will admit, I will admit, and I maybe you would admit that that by temperament suits you, but it doesn't suit everyone. And so um, I can see Charlotte nodding. I'm going to, I'm sorry if I'm placing you in this, but as a, I won't even say by, by temperament at all, Charlotte, but I'm just meaning by a junior clinician, maybe may intimidated by said, said four women in the translator of various different body parts and, <laughs> and ages, right? It's, it's understandably a very confronting circumstance. You think, sod that I'm, re I'm resigning, right? So <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if indeed I am right in thinking that, uh, that, that that might be it might be a, a challenging circumstance let's think about what are the mitigating factors that stops you say resigning when confronted with such a, a, a community challenge i think oh big question um i think as as we know as msk clinicians i think the complexity of people it's changing and people like georgie said you know you come with one problem and there's lots you know there's several other things and it is really challenging, like you said, as a junior coming in and you're thinking, oh, this is so much and it's uh, beyond my scope and I can't do this. I only have learned about this, perhaps one condition or one thing they're coming in with today. Um, and I think, yeah, we do worry about that. And you, like you said, you get to the point of burnout, don't you? And it's hard to, you know, your team environment, with closed door clinics, trying to get that sense of community and your team and speak to seniors, duty clinicians to try and help you with that. And you can see how we do get, yeah, burnout and it's challenging. Um, so I think by by doing by doing the CAD, it, it was great. Like you said, there was the, like I said, there was, there was so many people that you you could have those conversations, and there was time time to do that and to explore every part of of you know the problem and, and the heart of what someone wanted. Um, so from what was daunting, you know, to, to carry out this, you know, I I learned so much by. Just, just taking a case to a duty clinician and you can just debrief and have the amount of time you want to speak about those, you know, someone's come to evade different problems and a lot of mental health problems as well. So, you know, I can get them to the right place, you know, because we have all the resources there in one room. So um, does the time, does the time make the massive difference then? The, 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 the ability to, to just have that breathing space to, to know that 
there's not a there's not a queue building up to a timetable and stuff. Does that do a lot of the sort of heavy lifting on that? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely one part. But obviously, you know, as we said, the challenges, you know, it it, it could have been it was daunting to start with sometimes. Obviously, there was we had people coming in kind of um was it every 30 minutes, Georgie, in the end. We changed it, didn't we? Yeah. Now so so we saw people, yeah, a block. So, you know, we saw lots of people keep coming in. Obviously, there was about 20 of us sitting there in our own little spaces. So we obviously like you said, it was challenging to think, oh, you know, there's lots of people keep coming, we've got to keep seeing them, or perhaps perhaps Rush have these comments, but, but it wasn't because everyone was seen at different times. So if you were with someone for 40 minutes, my, my colleague next door was with someone for five minutes because someone came in and said, I had this knee pain for such and such, I, I would like to get some rehab advice and had that conversation. So some were 10 minutes, some were yeah, 40 yeah. minutes, and because it was just overlapping like that, everyone kind of relaxed just into their role. No, oh, brilliant. I can so I can so imagine that. And 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 whilst it's beyond the scope of this podcast to understand exactly how you operationalize that, whether it was sort of take take a ticket or or you know, cash in number four, please. I don't <laughs> I don't know how you did it, but but we can get to that another time. But Georgie, yeah, what I would love to now make sure we don't skip too far past is that I love and I've really wanted in this podcast for us to understand the the sort of emergence of what problems this solved because understandably some of the headlines have been about it being a waitlisting busting agenda, which I knew of your service and I knew of the personnel within it to know that that was never going to be the starting off point, which on yeah. a political level or on an organizational level, there will no doubt been some people in your, on your, in your C-suite of the organization that would love nothing more than to retrofit a scheme that would suit that as an agenda, right? It makes sense both commercially and in terms of like, it would be a better service for us to have less weight and less especially post-COVID, right? You can understand them thinking mm. from there, but I knew that not to be the case with this story. That is a brilliant, I won't say side effect, but outcome of what's happened. How then mm. did it end up being, and and has it was that what you were expecting, and, and, and was to the extent it was, etc. But that has been one of the big things that the media has managed to to catch hold of, and rightly so. How did it come about? Did it surprise you? You just give us some of the give us some of the insights into how effective these have ended up being. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're right. Yeah, the waiting. The waiting list was a byproduct, and we can't ignore the fact that our waiting lists were higher, like everybody else's, no higher. Um, but it wasn't; it wasn't the main factor of drive. Mm. Um, one of the main factors was kind of recognizing that eighty percent of our health is dependent on our health behaviors, our socioeconomic status, and. When I kind of talk to clinicians about how much of your consultation are you leaning into that person's health behaviours and their socioeconomic demographic status, you know, like even myself, sometimes I fall back into that. So is it about, you know, what about you? So there was the drive of like, can we capture some data around the impact of creating a community hub around the person. So it's not that the person's going to it. It's like they are surrounded in stuff that could really help them and address those key aspects of health behaviors and socioeconomic status. Um, so we really wanted to make sure that the day kind of encompassed that. And we introduced loads of different community services to the day. Yeah. Which was incredible because as clinicians, you learn loads by, you know, as physios, we learn by doing. That's kind of our nature, sure. that empirical yeah. understanding, that tacit learning. So, you know, throughout the day, we were able to go and have a chat with Samaritans and actually understand that they do loads more than what we think that they do. Yeah. And you're like, but like they were men's in sheds and we we're like, whoa, what do you do loads as well? And these are your, con oh my gosh, like. I didn't realize yeah. incredible we had the social prescribing team there so your mind really blows out in regards to kind of going that's incredible the amount of stuff that's around that I didn't know about how can I make sure that the person that I speak to through the what matters to you conversation knows this stuff is surrounding them right. so we had about 35 percent of people pass through the community hubs and get engaged in community services and the community services were like we've never had this type of interaction with people with msk or within the nhs because obviously you have to rely on signposting and we know that that does that relies on the person feeling engaged and empowered to 
access that in terms of their readiness to change has that been fully held in the time span that we all have probably Mm. not so that's where it really worked in terms of going right okay our real purpose is to kind of connect people and build networks of community um you know 35 percent is pretty high we were like right okay from the first few that we've done we could grow on that because more more awareness as to how we position the community hub within the day. And you're right, you know, that there's so much to talk about in terms of the details of the day, like how you set it out (laughs) really impacts upon whether people feel like they want to talk to somebody or they don't, you know, like if you walk, you walk through like a a market and you feel like you got to buy something, you just walk through really quickly. There's that kind of psychology of kind of making sure that it feels embedded and it feels part of the journey and not something that's, that we're going to do to people do you see what i mean so there's that kind of the, the so gentleness ma- I can so imagine that especially on especially on the continent at a tourist resort and stuff you've got people hustling you into their restaurants or what have you then yes yes you've that got would it not be how health service needs to, needs to be no. but instead trying to make things accessible without feeling pressured is, is, is a sweet spot and it's interesting that yeah. you, you know, you're having to give thought to that which is it, yeah we're playing really around with that thing. as far as ms care services go you know it's not that it's not going to be high up on many places list hopefully those are being thoughtful about the spaces of which with regards to waiting rooms etc but they wouldn't necessarily need to think about the thoroughfare almost of a layout like you're describing so no i can, yeah. I can get that what just um i can i can do i'm going to do a, a an intro to this where i can i can actually read out some of the some of the data that came through especially through the media but what were the sort of headline outcomes that came through and why was it why do you think it caught the lit the touch paper yeah. in, the, in the media with regards to the sort of waiting list etc yeah so it's a 50 of people we supported to self-manage they're like they're the big headlines aren't they so 50 percent of your waiting list essentially which is what we kind of played around with with the little what matters to you conversations whilst people are on the waiting list that re- represents that, just give me the, give me the yeah. scale of that because there's always a funny thing with percentages isn't it well, yeah like, yeah waiting list waiting list of 12 uh so six yeah. of them self-managed you know th- these are bigger <laughs> numbers than that aren't they so tell us tell us yeah that's that's as relevant almost as the percentage isn't it yeah so we've done quite a few cads now we've done six and the first two cads we looked at 550 people so each one held roughly just over 250 260 people um and then we've done two further two further well actually four further ones but each one holding sort of 230 one held 391 so that's those sorts of numbers so if you put all of those together you know it's it's roughly 50 percent and I think a key part of this Jack is introducing PIFU so patient initiated follow-up and this is really important for us and Charlotte you know is 100 percent behind you know within the service there's no start there's no often no clear start and certainly no clear end to healthcare you know your back's better now by your discharge it's like what but what happens if I flares up in a year's time like and it's the same sort so you know the beauty of pifu is that we can kind of really support people to recognize that this isn't a goodbye there is no closed door like you've got membership to this you got membership to us for your life basically or right. and, and a, it's well and it's well paid for through your taxes right yeah. so this is one of the things that people need to start realizing because i know it, it, it bit of a regression in some ways for people to think like a consumer in some ways but then similarly helping them realize that their engagement with it and their mm. empowerment within the system means that they should and feel they can use it and they're coming back with I've got to this point, I've hit this plateau, or I feel like I want to re-engage with this. I've got some fresher questions so that they re-engage with the process. I would love to pretend that this was an innovation that I thought of myself, but out of pure laziness, (laughs) I started giving massively extended SOSs, right? So early in my career, because I was Mr. Discharge Pile, right? I'm saying... By the if I hadn't heard from you by the end of insert like if it were this time of year I'd be saying if I hadn't heard from you by the end of March and then I used to think that well I'm going to persuade my managers to let me just do some tick box <laughs> discharges on this pile of March discharges so it was really out of that the, the chaos of my uh, struggling to get on top of my own admin which continues to this day <laughs> I started doing that and then as as a matter of secondary to that realizing just how powerful those conversations were that they were like, he's not this, he's, he's not discharging me. And, and, and I really meant it as well. It's like, if in a few weeks time, something's changed, I'd be gutted if you were then outside of the loop. And so the fact that I was like, no, genuinely call me, 
meant that those discharges didn't feel as as brave or as final. And and so as an emergence of that as a happy accident, I started to notice that. And then obviously I've, I've been able to retain that ever since, especially as I've developed the independence in various services and now my own. So it was just a really useful thing that kind of came about. And I can so imagine the phenomena that you're describing being similar is that it feels naturally more of a balanced relationship that you're not yeah. gatekeeping their care, both at the front end and at the point of discharge is that it's always that they are able to reinitiate because they are responsible adults of which that you're trusting them to not just be not be over needy that you're not fearing their involvement in their own care you're actually wanting to embrace it so i can so see how that would would naturally come to come to be charlotte can i just ask when you're delivering these these sessions the the process of which you're accessing and, and, and trying to look out for things that you then um, engage people in with, with, with what, what matters to them. Are, is there a big risk that you fall back into? Right. How sharp is it? How blunt is it? How, you know, obviously you, you, you can't, can't help, but right, let's get, let's get stuck into eggs and eases and 24 hour pattern. How are you, how much are you needing to sort of that urge? And, 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 and if, is that a thread that you're just allowed to go? I just wonder if you can give me an insight into how you go about that when you've obviously we've all had our training and we've had our more typical yeah. cubicle style yeah. interventions. Yeah, definitely. No, that that's that's really important to cover. And I think, like you said, anyone and going going to to try these days as around the country, they're gonna have that and those worries. And yeah, no, I completely understand. And and yeah, we are clinicians, we have that knowledge. So yeah, we I think with every single person. You have to ask those questions because you are there as a as a little mini triage and you're thinking all the time. And, and I'm going, oh, is it locking? Does it give you know, I have to clear these things. And obviously we had a lot of people with spine pain. They've had a long time. So you have to say, you know, ask your neuro questions, you know, ask, you know, or if there, there was lots of different safe spaces around and kind of, um, you know, cover kind of plinths and, and place you can take people to have those conversations they didn't want to there. And then, so yeah, you have to get your clinical head on at some point, you know, just to clear things, but in a nice way to say, oh, can I just ask you? Because you've said about these things, can I just, um, just, just routine and just clear these questions? Cause I'm, like I said, you're triage to the right place, you know, and we do have our let's assess areas. So, you know, if, if I feel and that what that person wants is that kind of diagnosis and assessment, or I will go and speak to the clinicians in all the different joint pathways we had there. I'd have that conversation because it, we did have people come through that, that were of more urgency and they had to have that yeah, assessment there and then, and they did get obviously, yeah, on the hip and knee pathway, spine pathway. So yeah, you, you, you're a clinician, you have that knowledge. And when you, it's like when those, those conversations are going to be guided, you do have to put your head on when you need to. And, but, but you, you'll know when, because, you know, and to scream for your inflammatory or neuroscience or, your special questions you use that but it's just it's just a nice environment on how you phrase it really yeah the the i think it's a good place for us to just wrap up is tell me about the culture of which makes for that freedom because that 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 you've just described i'm i'm i'm, I'm, I'm that's where i thought the answer would go but i'm so delighted that you, you feel that you're not going to be in a situation where you're constrained to the point in which you know if your instincts are telling you to go and do a neuro assessment, you're better off not because that's not what we're doing today. But similarly, if the system was such that you were compressed for time, that if a few patients on the bounce that needed that level of, 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 of sort of specific specialized attention, that could throw you off your entire list for the day. Neither of those things would work. So instead, the amount of trust that you've all got in each other, the fact that, that you're all going to work shoulder to shoulder, that you might see three patients by the time someone next to you is in 10, but that's just because of the look of the draw. But that's not out of any sort of sense of laziness because we're all pulling together as well as amongst the community. That is a culture within your service of which cannot be taken for granted. So I just feel like I want to make sure we sort of don't miss saying that. I know you couldn't answer in a couple of minutes how that's emerged, but... Am I right in thinking that that is really quite central to what we're, what we're doing here? And how, what advice would you give to those that fancy having listened to this and heard about it in the, in, when your name was in lights um, on the, in the media, if they're trying to implement some of this, what is it about the culture that we, you feel that they should consider and make sure that they have, that would be the foundations of something like this and the spirit of, of the process you've gone through? 
Well, that's ma- that is massive. The first thing that comes, you're absolutely right. Like, I love that you've the fact that you've hit on that word trust, Jack, because, you know, that's not always been, you know, that, that people have felt burnt out and people have felt fragmented. And, you know, we've got this beautiful like clinician space that's behind closed doors. So we've gone from my time where we were working behind curtains and you could hear that your mate was having a bit of a tricky time. So you'd be like, you, want, you know, there's the phone, there's a phone. Do you want to, do you want to just, you know, an opportunity yeah. to support um so I think you know spinal spinal clinicians that the the advanced practitioners were talking about god it's like double maths got you know they were finding it really hard and it, there wasn't that sense of even being able to trust each other because we weren't working that that closely so you know the fact that we can now kind of go, wow, I absolutely trust you as a clinician I know you've got my back if I've if I am struggling there is this opportunity for you to see that and I wonder whether there is something about vulnerability that I wanted to say of being able to be vulnerable with each other in a workplace to show up as you not with you know the mask on oh yeah I'm fine and this is what I do because I've got a whole list of however many people because you have to be fine yeah you know it's really hard isn't it and and I've we've really delved into vulnerability trauma-informed communication looking at personalized care towards each other and yeah. and that's that's quite that's it's quite hard to keep getting right you know you have to be really tenacious within a service calling it out when it's not there like you just yeah you just I just I feel I feel a little bit like tight chested from what you just said to me like it's made me feel a bit uncomfortable calling it out if if it doesn't feel all right and that's mm. the culture that we are trying to keep alive the whole time so then when you do go into this open space where everyone can see what you're doing people can hear what you're doing you need to know that someone's got your back if you're struggling but being that open and vulnerable is is quite a big thing and I think trying to integrate that within the small meetings that you have or the one-to-ones that you have the appraisals like instead of your appraisal being a, a tick box tell me what objectives you've got it's like how are you with all of yeah. that what does it no, mean to great... you and... yeah yeah what, what, what matters to you what matters yeah, to you I mean, yeah exactly trying to try applying that to each other yeah I think that, and it's definitely one for one for another day especially because of time but we're on the scope of this particular podcast to think about it's it's gone out of fashion giving each other the benefit of the doubt culturally, <laughs> hasn't it? Right, we're we're sometimes getting getting a bit carried away in, um, and sometimes that's out of a very genuine, genuinely being emotively and viscerally triggered by something can can mean that we can act out in that way, and I can understand that phenomenon. It's not as if everything can be can be calm and hyper rational, but. As a general rule, when it comes to interprofessionally and amongst colleagues and about creating a team of which is of a culture, there's got to be some leeway, some benefit of the doubt, some clarification that is drawn out. And if you're doing that with each other, it's so natural yeah. to then do that with your, your fellow colleagues and neighbours yeah. of which are coming in to, for your expertise as a service. And so it'd be such a mad hypocrisy if yeah. it was one and not the other. If it was yeah. giving each other loads of leeway as a service, but then then plebs elsewhere that are going to come in for their sore bits, it's like, well, what, what are they about? Or vice versa, you were being really appropriately empathetic with those that we know have got complex needs, yet with each other, it's all curtain obtuse. And so it's not no doubt and not an easy thing for us to, to, to do and to replicate, but I wanted to make sure that we've, there is, there is a model here, there's an exciting template for want of a better term, a framework of which it looks like we can all aspire to, but we can't take for granted that that is something that can be drawn out in a PDF. Um, it's something that we do need to, and I hope that this podcast has given people an opportunity to see how might they apply that to their local circumstances that would be relevant to them, their community, their demographics in, in ways that might not be exactly the same as yours, but also take some of the learning that you've achieved and been willing to share with us today um, to, to make sure that people feel like they're not completely unmoored from a structure uh, that they could they could aspire to. So I'm, I'm I know we're out of time, and that's more my fault than anything for my waffly questions. But um, where can people find out more about both you, you guys as an indi- as individuals, as well as then where you would signpost people to? Sorry for that word signpost again, but they um, signpost <laughs> people to for, for further about about the CADs and and, and trust itself. Yeah, so you can always email me. I'm on Twitter. Um... They're my main contacts, really. So, yeah, 
NHS email and um on Twitter you can put that on your show notes if you like, Jack yeah, or we'll do. No, that's fab. Thanks. And Charlotte. Charlotte, you're the same, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people did reach out because I was sharing things and a lot of people um just sent me in messages and I messaged Laura and got them in touch, got them on the webinar, got them all to the right place. So Fabulous. Yeah. No, well, we and obviously as as usual, if people want to reach out to us through info at physiohappenmatters.com, um, of which we can obviously then triage um some of those um to the right places and, and forward them on ironically it'd be charlotte partly finding more <laughs> mm-hmm. so yeah you want to, don't contact charlotte about this through info <laughs> like, that's not the point but it just uh, amusingly there's very capable administrators and clinicians behind that email address too and um, so thank you both so much it's absolute pleasure as you can tell we could have gone on and on and on and that's my fault but um i'm, I'm excited to see where it goes i'm excited to see how we can translate this amongst a, a, a health community and for the spirit of it to to go first it's not just the template you know i think it, it's, it'd be easy for us to think how could that be replicated as an operational thing but actually it's the culture the trust the the circumstances that mean that we would then uh, create a real upturn to um a, a change in that 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 way in which people perceive a consultation to need to be as a mandatory thing would be a massive culture shift as a, as a profession and beyond in MSK. So yeah, thank you for all you've done. Very excited for finally there to be some operational innovation in MSK for once. That's the most <laughs> mind blowing thing. So I really do applaud all you're doing and thank you so much for your time today. Massively appreciate it. No worries, Jack. There was just one thing that I thought, um, it's really, I love this quote by Albert Einstein, which is just thinking about the copy and pasting that you were leaning into, of like, we just can't copy and paste. If we did copy and paste, it's almost ins- insane. You know, this quote is like, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting something different. Yeah, one of my favourites. It's things. so <laughs> yeah, good, isn't it? Point. And this is a, such point. a great, uh, yeah, you know, we've got to do some stuff differently. And like you say, the operational stuff, sometimes can crush the butterfly yeah and when I think the culture and that sort of sense of compassion and gentleness that we're talking to each other is almost like the butterfly and sometimes the operationalizing of stuff can just compress it out but you know like you say it's almost like another another time we can kind of pull this pull that bit apart maybe i'd love for this to be one of several conversations (laughs) i won't rope you into loads more because i totally appreciate your time and 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 i know i could uh, pull on all of these threads all day long but yeah i think it's a really fair point operate operational stuff can can feel um can feel like it can squash some of the most interesting innovations um but if it can be done in in partnership and to deliver the results that you've done it proves itself and so let's uh let's hope that that does uh be another another butterfly analogy of course the wings of the butterfly that beats that they can trickle some sort of effect uh, downstream I'm mixing my metaphors now, aren't I? So I'm going to shut up. Right, see you later. (laughs) All right, thanks, ladies. Bye-bye. Take care. Jack. Bye. Do you know your tendonitis from your spondylitis? Below par with PMR? No gnout about gout? The Rheumatology Physio website is teeming with content to engage with. Downloads, books, courses and more to address any gaps in your knowledge. Head to rheumatology.physio, your one-stop shop for rheumatology information.